Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Mark chapter 1 today, verse 16 through 20, and that's page 836 in the Bibles around the room. I'm going to read the scripture, and then when I'm done, I'm going to say, um, this is the reading of God's word, and you'll respond by saying, thanks be to God, and we're just very thankful that God provided his word for, to reveal his character to us. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and worship his holy name. God, thank you for bringing us here today to worship you and glorify your name. God, help us to be obedient and follow after you. Help us to have faith and trust in you. Help us to be a people, God, that loves the way you love. Help us to be a people that loves to share the good news of our redeeming Savior. God, be with us today. Be with Pastor Kyle. Bless his teaching. Focus us on your message and help us to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Casey. Well, what's up, everybody? Good morning. My name is Kyle. If you're a guest with us, welcome to Living Stones. One of the things that you absolutely need to know about Living Stones is that we believe we gather on Sundays for God. We are here for Him. And uh, we are here to unite ourselves in. This is why uh, we are opening up the Bible, because we believe that God has spoken to us. And it's also why we sing songs. Um, you know, sometimes people go to church and they're like, I don't like the music at that church. And I get that, you know, but little newsflash, gently, it's not for you. <laughs> the music is for God. And when we sing and when we give him praise, it's because our souls were created to praise him. And when we are praising him, we become more fully human and we become more satisfied in our life. And so that's what we're seeking to do here today. And if you're a guest, uh, you are welcome here with all of your questions. You're welcome here as somebody who's seeking truth. You're welcome here um, to question the Bible. But we do want you to know what the Bible says. And so that's why we're going through it. We're in the uh, book of Mark today, uh, page 836 on the Bibles we set around the room. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1 starting in verse 16. Now, um, in a few weeks, we're going to be starting the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a, a really good book about the meaning and purpose of life. That baby wants to know what the meaning and purpose of life is already. And uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is, it's this wonderful book. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's just this book that speaks about the realities that no matter how good you live or how much stuff you might get, eventually you're going to die. And so it really leads you to ask the question, well, if that's the case, what's, what's the purpose of life? And so um, I want you to come back for that. Uh, but right now what we're doing is we're going through our five core values as a church. And you can see these core values on these art pieces that our awesome art team made for us. And today we're in the second core value, which is lit up a different color, disciples making disciples. Now, we're calling this series The Table, 
because tables represent an important thing for us as humans. It's a place where you sit down and share meals with people. And as you share meals with people, you open up your life and your heart to them. If you really want to get to know somebody, you will sit down with them at table. Uh, The longer you sit down with people at table, the more you get to see what they value. And so we're calling this series uh, The Table because as you sit down with us at table, you begin to see what we value as a church. And as we come to the tables in the front and back every week for the Lord's Supper or communion, this ritual that Jesus gave us to do, we are reminded of the values of God's kingdom. And today, the value that we're focusing on is that we are disciples making disciples. Now, the word disciple simply means this. It means to be a follower or a student of Jesus. A follower or a student of Jesus. And that's what we see here in this passage. In this passage that Casey just so beautifully read for us, we see that Jesus calls us to be disciples that make disciples. That's my main point in my sermon. And my first point is be disciples. My second point is make disciples. Okay, so it's going to be very simple. You should be able to remember that, all right? So Jesus, let's look at it here in verse 16. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, just try to envision that in your head. You hear the, you know, the birds squawking. You smell the the air of the sea. Some seaweed, maybe some fish. It says, passing alongside, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Very famous passage. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The story of Jesus calling the first disciples who had become apostles and pillars of the New Testament church. And Jesus says to him, follow me. Now, this is strange for us because if strangers just walk up to you and say, follow me, you're not going to follow them. But he, stranger, <laughs> exactly. We had a child over here just say, stranger danger. So what is going on here? Jesus' words to say, follow me, it's an invitation from somebody who was a rabbi to become a disciple. Now, a rabbi was a, a Jewish teacher uh, of the law, and, and a Jew, they would consider him like the religious and spiritual uh, master of their life. And so the background of this is really simple. From the time you were, uh, if you were a Jewish boy, from the time you were five to the time you were 13, you went into training um, some of you like send your kids to Awanas on Tuesday night. Just think like Awanas every day of the week. And you would memorize the Old Testament law, the first five books of the Bible, and sometimes even more than that. From the time you were, so by the time you were a 13 year old Jewish boy, you had like, you know, this much of your Bible memorized. It's a big chunk. And, um, and then once you turned 13, you had your bar mitzvah. And at that time, it was determined the kids who excelled at school, they would go on for further education. And the kids whom, you know, for whom school wasn't their thing, they would go into their trades with their parents or with a family friend. And so uh, those who went into the trades, that kind of became their life. And then the kids who went into school, they went into some more intensive training. And they spent a few more years doing that. 
And then the best of the best of those kids went into like a sort of discipleship draft. Except for the thing is, is they didn't, they weren't selected by their rabbis. They would go and their job was to choose a rabbi, to choose a teacher. And so they would go and they would try to choose a teacher and they would say, uh, we want you to be our rabbi. And then the, the rabbi would go through a period of time where he would just question them rigorously. And he would just question their knowledge. And what the rabbi was looking for was very important. He was looking for students whom he felt like he could make just like him. And that was an important thing for the rabbi. And so he would select the best of the best. And so those who were asked to follow a rabbi, it was around the time of age, about 17 to 20 years old. And the rabbi would choose them because he felt like they had the ability to become just like him. So this call for Jesus to walk up to a group of fishermen, to four fishermen, and say, follow me, is a big deal on many fronts. Number one, for who they were. Number two, for who he was. Number one, for who they were. They were dropouts. They were, they were just fishermen. They were the kids who didn't excel. They were the ones who were like, I'm thinking about going to college. And the teacher's like, ah, I think you should go into the trades. <laughs> uh, like, th- these, were the, these were the ones who, you know, they just, this was going to be their life. Um, this is the ones who, the rabbis, when he came to, to look and watch the class, never paid attention to them. And here they are fishing, and Jesus comes, and he calls them. Very important. Because in the culture, it was the, the disciple who chose the rabbi, but in this situation, it's the rabbi who chooses the disciple. And that's how salvation works. And, um, and he chooses the, the most unlikely candidates. And then secondly, it's a big deal because of who he is. Have you ever read this story and asked the question, why in the world did these guys just drop everything and then follow Jesus? Like this guy is just walking on the street and says, follow me. And then these guys are like, okay. And they just leave their business behind and then they just follow him. It's kind of shocking. Well, Luke gives us a better understanding of this. So let's put the passage from Luke on the screen. So this is Luke's telling of the same story. It says this, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in uh, to him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Uh, Getting into the boat of the... Man, I need to get glasses. Hold on for a minute. I'm just going to read it from my Bible. Okay. It's time, guys. I'm sorry. Okay, it says, Getting into the boats, which was Simon, he asked them to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And he had finished speaking. He said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. That's a lot of fish. But Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that he had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Might, you know, that might be a weird thing to just go say on the street if you're just. And when he had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. So here's a more background to the story. Why did these guys just leave everything? Because Jesus comes along. There's a huge crowd following Jesus. And he had just done many miracles. And then uh, he gets, the crowd wants to hear Jesus preach. Because Jesus was the best preacher ever lived. And so Jesus asked Peter if he could borrow one of his boats. He goes out into the boat and he preaches this amazing sermon. And then he looks at Peter who's tired because he just got done fishing all night. And he says, hey, put out and and try going fishing again. And Peter's like, dude, we just fished all night and didn't catch anything. (laughs) And Jesus like, no, 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 go ahead. It's good. Just try it. And they're like, whatever. So we go out. They just throw their nets out. And then all of a sudden, so much fish come in that they need to call other boats to help out. And then they bring the fish in and their boats start to sink. And it's at this point that Jesus, or that Peter, Simon Peter, realizes that Jesus is the Lord of the sea and all that lives in it. And then he comes and he bows down at Jesus' feet and says, depart from me. I don't even belong to be in your presence because I'm a sinful man. And then Jesus says to Simon, from now on, you're going to become a fisher of men. So this is the story. So, so it's a big deal that Jesus chooses these guys to follow him, number one, because they're just fishermen. They were the dropouts of school. And number two, because he is the greatest miracle worker to ever live. There hadn't been a prophet like this in over 800 years since Elisha. And Jesus is doing even greater works than Elisha. So this is a big deal. This is why they drop everything to follow him, and it should call us to question of this. Being a disciple means to be willing to drop everything to follow him. Um, we can learn five things about discipleship here from this passage. The first thing about being a disciple is this, is that simply Jesus chooses the most unlikely candidates. See, a lot of people think that to be uh, uh, chosen and selected by God, you have to be like this uh, upstanding religious uh, person who's killing it in in all the ways of, of the law and everything like that. And Jesus shows us otherwise here. Jesus goes for the dropouts. Jesus goes for the ones who aren't nailing it. They're failing it. Jesus goes for the ones who are overlooked the ones who are often forgotten. This is who Jesus goes for. And and that should give us all hope because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're like the fishermen in the boat. The second thing that this uh, shows us here is that following Jesus follows experiencing Jesus. These guys, the reason why they left everything to follow him is because they had a genuine experience with the living God. And that's important for us to know. Pew Research uh, just did a study in 2017, and they found that the Reno-Sparks area was the second most unchurched place in the United States, only behind the Bay Area. And what that means is, is that a lot of us in this room, you're coming and you're hearing the stories about Jesus for the first time. Um, Many of you have friends and you try to tell them about Jesus, but they don't have an understanding of the biblical Jesus. Maybe the Jesus on the History Channel or the Jesus from what the Mormons come by and tell them when they ring their doorbell and they try to hide. 
But we just have to, what it means for us is this, is if you don't have a lot of understanding about the Bible and about Jesus, that's okay. Um, You need, just start somewhere. Start coming to church. Start hearing about it. Please do not feel the pressure just to blindly follow Jesus. The call to follow him is not a, a call to blind obedience. It's a call to an educated um, obedience and submission to him based on your experience of him as a, a teacher and as God. And so please keep coming and, and keep uh, like being patient with yourself and asking questions and seeking to know the real Jesus. The third thing that this uh, shows us about Jesus is this, is when it comes to following Jesus, Jesus makes the call. When it comes to following Jesus, Jesus makes the call. Nobody, I know that we use the phrase, this person found Jesus, but the, the real story is Jesus found them. And I get an amen to that. And, and that's important for us to remember so that we don't get filled up with pride in our hearts. That following Jesus comes at answering his call to us. And if you're here as somebody who's investigating God and you're like, man, I kind of have this desire to know more about Jesus, to even follow him and give my life to him. You know that why that is? It's not because you're awesome. It's because Jesus is calling you. It's because Jesus loves you. Because Jesus values you and wants you and, and he valued you so much he was willing to die for you. When it comes to following Jesus, Jesus makes the call. The, the fourth thing that this shows us about discipleship is this, is discipleship means being with Jesus and fully submitting to Jesus. Uh, in the rabbinical system, when a disciple would follow a rabbi, the way I read it by one commentator this week, he said in computer, in computer terms, it's like the disciple was willing to willingly delete their hard drive and have everything that their rabbi taught them become their new hard drive. They were willing to delete everything that they knew to be true and then everything that their rabbi taught, that was now the standard of truth. And so to follow Jesus as one of his disciples has two, is twofold. It's to be with Jesus and to spend time with him and open up your life to him and him to you. And then it's also to submit to him in everything he says. Now, this is the challenge of following him, isn't it? Because sometimes we all like the idea of like, yeah, I'm with Jesus. And he's with me in every circumstance. He holds me even in the darkest of times. But the challenge is we don't want to do what he has to say when we don't like what he has to say. But to be a Christian, to follow him means you're willing to submit to him even if you disagree. On all the difficult matters, what he says about your money, what he says about your sexuality, what he says about your marriage or how you're supposed to parent, what he says about how you're supposed to care for the poor, what he says about how you're supposed to live your life and and hold on to the possessions that you have what he says about how you're supposed to Sabbath and rest. When it comes to following Jesus, it's not just being with him. It's also having him as your Lord. And that's a challenge sometimes. And then other times it's a challenge for a lot of us in this room, because sometimes it's just a hell of a lot. I should not say that at church. It's just a heck of a lot easier. (laughs) It's just a heck of a lot easier to, uh, 
it's, it's a lot easier to just have Jesus as our Lord and be like, yeah, I'm just going to do what he says. But you know nothing of warm-hearted affection. Sometimes it gets much easier to fall into the trap of cold, dead religion, isn't it? Because it's, it's, I think it's a survival tactic to get through life. It's, it's a lot harder to be vulnerable. It's a lot harder to open up. And, and, and churches are filled all over the United States with people who, who just have a sort of cold-hearted obedience. They don't get excited when they talk about Jesus, but they try to really hard to follow all of his rules. And Jesus doesn't want that from you. He doesn't want you just following him in obedience as Lord, but not to have any affection for him. So to be a disciple is both. And depending on where you are today, you're probably leaning it to one side or the other. And the, and the call and the prayer for us as disciples is, God, make me somebody who wants to be with you and also is willing to submit to you as my Lord. That's the call of discipleship. The last uh, part that this shows us about what it means to be a disciple is this, is Jesus is worth immediate and wholehearted surrender immediate and wholehearted surrender. Look at what it says. Jesus says to Simon Peter and to his brother Andrew, he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And then Mark says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. He does the same thing for James and John. And then it says that they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat and followed him. And what this shows us is When Jesus gives you the call, he is worth an immediate surrender of all that you have and all that you are. Immediate. Because of who he is. Because of the great value that he is. You see, when you understand how great Jesus is, you're willing to abandon everything else, even the good things in life that you're holding on to. It's a statement of value and worth. Jesus tells a parable later on in his ministry. He says, suppose a man is walking through a field and he stumbles along a great treasure. And he realizes that that treasure, that that box with the treasure inside of it is more valuable than anything he he owns at home. What's he going to do? He's going to go home and he's going to sell his house. He's going to sell his cars. He's going to sell his computers. He's going to sell everything. And everybody's going to think he's crazy. But he knows that what he found in the field is worth more than anything he owns. So he's going to sell it all and he's going to go buy the field so he can have the treasure. This is what it's like to hear Jesus calling your name. Is you realize he's worth everything. And so some of you who are guests with us today, you're, you're, you're looking around and you see Christians crying during songs. You see them doing crazy stuff like quitting their jobs to pursue ministry. You see them moving to places to start new churches and do new works. All it is, it's it's a value statement. They found something that's better than anything this life has to offer. Um, So he's worth immediate wholehearted surrender. And I want you to see it's wholehearted surrender. They left their businesses. They left, like James and John were like, see you dad. And they just left their dad in the boat with the hired servants. They left it all. And they had a good business because people in this region of Galilee didn't have a lot of money. And the fishermen were, it's one of the best paying jobs. And they had multiple boats. So they had a good business going, but they were willing to leave it all to follow Jesus. 
Now, Jesus doesn't ask everybody to quit their jobs, okay? Like, don't go into work tomorrow and be like, boss, I'm quitting today. I got to follow Jesus. He doesn't ask everybody to do that. This was specific for them. These guys would become the apostles of the New Testament church. Um, But he does ask some people to do it. Uh, Ryan Griffin, our pastor of the South Reno Church, was working a great job at a huge company in town, and he was work- they wanted him to be one of the highest-level executives. He was getting paid bank flying around on private jets and stuff. And then God said, I want you to plant a church. And he quit it all and took a severe pay cut to go see souls changed for the kingdom of God. But Jesus doesn't ask everybody to do this. He doesn't ask everybody to quit your job. The question is, is if he did ask you, would you be willing to do it? That's the question. So the, the, the command is specific for these guys, but the principle applies to everybody. If Jesus asked you to surrender it, would you? What in your life are you holding on to that if Jesus asked you to give up, you wouldn't be willing to give up? And notice that what they're holding on to are good things. A job, a family, provision. That's all good. And oftentimes those are the things that we're willing to, it's, it's good things that keep us from following Jesus, right? If Jesus asked you to move to another city and help start a church, would you do it? If Jesus asked you to move to, uh, you know, to, to give up one night a week to go and serve in a ministry in town that's helping the down and out, would you do it? If Jesus asked you to give up some of your time, if Jesus asked you to, to give up your retirement to serve the kingdom of God, would you do it? The question is, is when Jesus gives us the call, are we willing to hold everything we have in this world open-handedly and follow him? That's the question. He's worth wholehearted and immediate surrender. You know, I have a friend, his name is Jason, and every year they pick a word um, for their family. Or at the beginning of the year, a word for them to just think about. Like a couple of years ago, the word was um, discipline. Last year, their word was Sabbath. And uh, I started just asking God, okay, God, what would my word be for 2019? And I really feel like the Holy Spirit said to me, Kyle, your word needs to be surrender. And I, I just feel like he, he said to me, there's things that are good things that you're just holding on to too tightly. He's revealing, like, to me, like, the leadership of this church is holding on too tightly. Um, you know, like, I love where I, I just, there's, there's things that are, that, that are just so, I love so much that if God said, you need to let that go, I don't know if I would, to be honest. But this is the, this is the call that just as the call is for you to surrender, it's for me too as your pastor. And so this is what it means to be a disciple. It's worth immediate and wholehearted surrender. And so we need to be asking God for the strength to do that. Now, that's the first point. The second point is when you're a disciple, it will result in making disciples. Look at what Jesus says to him in verse 17. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That phrase, fishers of men, uh, is you, it, it's a kind of a funny phrase, isn't it? 
reminds me of a story of a pastor I know, and he was trying to go do some street evangelism. And somebody asked him what they were doing, and they were walking down by the river downtown. They're like, we're fishing for men. And they're like, wait, wait a second, that came out wrong. (laughs) What is he getting at? Well, think about what they're doing. These guys are spending their entire life hauling in nets full of fish, laboring to do it so they could cut the heads off, gut them, take them to the marketplace, and sell them for food. And Jesus is saying, all that time that you've been spending doing that, I'm going to redirect the purpose of your life. Instead of spending your time doing that, you're going to spend your time laboring to bring people into the kingdom of God so that they could have life everlasting. So in the same way that you've been hauling in fish to kill them in the marketplace, you're going to be doing the opposite with people. You're going to be hauling in souls that they could have life with God forever. And so it was a redirecting of their purpose. It was a redirecting of their mission. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have a new mission. No longer is your mission about building your business. No longer is your mission about simply just trying to survive and make it in this world. You have a greater mission now, and that's to live for the sake of giving people hope in Christ and life with Christ, not only now, but also for eternity. It's a redirecting. So the way that Matthew says it at the end of his book is after Jesus dies and resurrects, Jesus looks at all of his disciples, about 120 people in the room, so about a room this size full of people, And he says this, he says, I want you to go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to follow all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you until the end of the age. And so to be a disciple, Jesus literally expects that you are going into the whole world to help other people become disciples of Jesus. You have a new mission. And part of that mission is to share Jesus with people who don't know Jesus. That's part of discipleship. And then once they learn about Jesus, to teach them all about Jesus. So this is one of the reasons why we do worship gatherings on Sunday and community groups. Because community groups is a place where we teach each other what it means to follow Jesus. We're disciples making disciples. So if you're not in one of those groups, they're just small groups of people that meet around town and in homes and Um, apartments to study the Bible and learn what Jesus says. If you're not in one of those groups, get in one of those groups because this is where we learn how to be a disciple. It's disciples making disciples. And what Jesus shows us here is this. Being a disciple goes hand in hand with making a disciple. It, It says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So some people ask, you know, they go to church and they say, what's the discipleship process here at this church? And a lot of times they're asking the question, what kind of books do you read? What kind of classes do you have? And what kind of scripture can I memorize? But that's only part of discipleship. The other part of discipleship is helping people who are far from God come close to God. It's making disciples. They go hand in hand. And, and some of you, if you're new to church, you might be asking the question, wait a second. I, I don't know if I agree with that. You might object, I think everybody should believe what they want to believe, and that's fine, but nobody should be telling other people what to believe. Maybe you've said this before. And I get it, because what you're objecting to is people who are like obnoxious jerks about it, and I'm not advocating for that at all. But I do disagree on two points. Number one, 
in saying nobody should tell other people what to believe, you're actually contradicting yourself. Because in saying that, you're telling other people what they should believe and how they should live. <laughs> and number two, um, it's a simple fact of life that we all make disciples for what we love. That's a fact of life. Have you ever met anybody who does CrossFit? <laughs> like the exercise routine at one of those gyms? Like the first rule about CrossFit is you must talk about CrossFit. <laughs> um, have you ever been sick? Like it, it, you make disciples for what you love and what you think will help other people. You ever been sick? And I challenge you, I dare you to get sick this week <laughs> and to tell your friends. Because what are your friends going to do? They're going to offer you all sorts of things. Take this remedy, take these pills, take this acupuncture, cut this food out of your diet. I got this supplement for you. Like everybody's going to be offering you the remedy, right? Because we're, they're making disciples of that remedy, right? Because they believe that it'll help you. They believe that they have an answer to your problem. They believe that, it, that it'll fix. Um, I think about some of your hobbies. My friend came back from Mexico. He was hanging out near a retirement community. They would go over there every day, and they played the game pickleball. And then they came back, and they said, you got to try this new game, pickleball. And we went out and played. Now I'm a pickleball fanatic. But it's because uh, they, they made disciples of it. Now, here's the thing. If you think about that, like CrossFit, Remedies, whatever, God forbid that exercise gyms do better at discipleship than the church. God forbid that we are better at making disciples for natural remedies than we are at making disciples for the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? So the question for us becomes, if you, it's really true that you make disciples for things that you love, if we're not making disciples as a church, do we really love the Jesus we say we love? If we find ourselves as Christians in a pattern of, of really just hanging out with each other and not telling others about Jesus, do we really love our Lord? And do we really love other people? And if you're somebody who is here today and you're like, I'm kind of tired of Christians telling me to follow Jesus. Well, it's because they love you. And they love Jesus. And you shouldn't be shocked that they're doing that. You should be shocked if they weren't. And so this section challenges us regarding making disciples in four ways. The first way is it encourages us that God is inviting us into eternal and divine purpose. I talk to so many people, and I think the question of our, our, our times, I just watched a documentary two days ago, and, and the whole point of the docu- documentary was basically, the, the stuff I have isn't giving me purpose and value like I thought it would. So much, we're, we live in a society where we have more than we have ever had, but we have a, a deeper sense of lostness because we feel like our lives don't have meaning and purpose. We're the most unsatisfied group of people that have existed on the planet, even though we have the most stuff. We are longing for meaning. We're longing for purpose. And I think we're longing for meaning and purpose outside of our consumeristic selves. We're longing to pass on a legacy. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you eternal purpose. And you don't have to be like a special pastor to have it. 
guys are fishermen. These guys are just normal dudes, normal people, the, the people who were kind of the rejects of the discipleship school. And Jesus is saying, no, now you're gonna spend the rest of your life bringing people into the kingdom of God. And just imagine Jesus saying this to you. He, say, he looks you in the eye and says, I know that you feel like your life doesn't have meaning. I know that you feel you're like, like your life is empty and you're unsatisfied, but look at me. I wanna use you to bring people into my kingdom. And I know you think you don't have what it takes, but I I believe that you are exactly the person I want to use to bring people into my kingdom. And don't worry, I'll help you get there. It gives us such hope. The church is is, is the people who really have hope because we believe that, you know, all this other things that people live for, popularity, riches, fame, fun, travel, retirement, whatever it is, that all passes away, but the name of Jesus stands forever. And when you live for him, when you, when you accept this call to make disciples, you're accepting a call to stop living for small things. And I say that to you as your pastor. And I've had to tell, look in the mirror and tell myself this last night. Stop living for small things. You have an opportunity here by the call of your Lord Jesus Christ to live for a bigger purpose, to help people enter into the kingdom of God and to have life with him and hope in this life. So it should encourage you. It should also challenge you. It should challenge you to remember that this is your new redefined purpose and to not forget that. Uh, I've, I've often wondered, how come Mark doesn't fill us in the way that Luke fills us in on why they follow Jesus? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why does Luke give all the details, but Mark doesn't? I think it's because of this. Mark is actually Peter. It's Simon Peter's gospel. So Mark was a younger man, and Peter relayed what he saw and experienced to Mark, and Mark wrote it down. And so Peter's big idea is this. I was fishing, and then Jesus walked into my life, and now I was making disciples. Peter's big idea is less about the miracles he saw. It's more about my life has a new purpose. And and it's a challenge to us when we read the book of Mark, because you read the very first page, and you're like, This is what my life is supposed to be about. But as the church, we often forget it. Okay, think about how churches start. Think about, okay, we planted this church in 2012 or 2011. And when we first started the church, man, there was so much fire, wasn't there? When we would do times of sharing what God is doing, there were so many stories about God, like working in people's lives and answering prayers and doing stuff miraculously. It dominated our conversation But the more that that starts to happen, the more comfortable we start to get as a church. Then we start to have enough money and we can get a building and we're like, thank God we don't have to show up at five in the morning to set up for Mendive Middle School. And then we have a building and then we kind of just get comfortable. And we start to, the things that start dominating our conversations are, oh yeah, I'm buying this new car or I'm going on this vacation or this is what's happening at my house or like kind of very me-centered stuff. And that's all great stuff. I'm not dogging that stuff. I'm just saying I long for the day when our our conversations are dominated by what God is doing around us. Don't you? And so when we read the book of Mark, we're challenged as a church to say, let's get back to that. Like, let's get back to the times where we're not just talking about job promotions and this and that or whatever. But And not just like, you know, oh, life's really hard right now. I'm just struggling. But like, let's get back to, I'm seeing God move because I'm taking risks for his kingdom. 
Like Jesus called these guys into risk taking. And here's a fact about Christianity. Those who are willing to go on a limb for Jesus, see Jesus do great things. I've seen uh, this happen in our church. So there's a, a group of people who want to go start a church in Fernley. Do we have our Fernley people in here? Right over here. There's some Fernley people in here. All right. So when you talk to them and ask them what God is doing, they move their families out there. They just said, we want to, and, and they're, they're saying, miracles are happening. Like we're witnessing God answer prayers. We're seeing people come to faith in our neighborhood. It's happening. Why? Because I think they're taking risks to do it. And I think the challenge for us as a church as we stay here for the long haul is to not grow comfortable and to not grow wary with what God has for us. To be continuing to say, you know what? I'm gonna continue to live with redefined purpose to make disciples in his kingdom. Okay, that's the second thing. The third thing is this. It illustrates for us that disciple making is tough, mysterious, and often dangerous work. Think about fishing. For these guys. Now, when I think about fishing, I think about a guy kicking back, having a soda or a beverage, throwing a line out there and just waiting for the fish to bite, right? Kind of falling asleep in his chair. That's not the kind of fishing these guys are doing. The kind of fishing these guys are doing is throwing heavy nets into the sea. They would fish all night, sweat. They would be pulling in the nets. And then after that, they'd have to mend the nets. And then it's messy work because then you have to gut the fish. It doesn't just go straight from ocean to platter. You have to gut it and clean it. And that's gross, you know? And it's just, you have to do a lot of this work. It's messy, hard work. And guess what? Peter just shows us that sometimes you're going to come up empty-handed. And it shows us something about the nature of making disciples is it's messy, tough work. Getting involved in people's lives, that's messy. It's hard. And sometimes you come up empty-handed. There's going to be a lot of people that you love that you want to tell about Jesus and they don't want to hear it. And that's a normal, that's a normal thing for fishing. This is why Paul uses a different, he uses a farming analogy when he writes to his uh, young uh, disciple named Timothy. He says, Um, preach the word in season and out of season. And he's not saying preach the word when you feel like it and when you don't. That's not what he's saying. It's a farming illustration. When you farm, like three quarters of the year, you're just, you're sowing and you're tilling and you're working on the equipment and you're doing the hard work and you're waiting. And then there's that small window of the year where it's harvest. And Paul is saying, keep doing the work even when it's not harvest season. And he's saying to us as living stones, there's going to be some years where we baptize dozens and dozens and dozens. And then there are going to be other years where we don't keep doing the hard work, even when it's not harvest season. Because the promise is from Jesus that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. So don't grow weary in your neighborhoods. Don't go weary with your family. Don't grow weary at your workplaces because God is doing work if you're willing to put in the work. Be disciples that make disciples. And then the last thing it shows us is it shows us that being able to make disciples must happen because Jesus forms you to do so. Look at what Jesus says. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. You don't become a disciple maker on your own. Like you can memorize the whole Bible and be a terrible disciple maker. And lots of people have tried. You can be the greatest communicator and see no hearts changed because it's Jesus who makes disciple makers. Jesus is the one who does it. So your call is simple. Just follow him. 
And his promise is wonderful. I'll make you a fisherman and you'll see God do incredible things. And so when we think about this passage, this passage is literally a passage of sacrifice. To be a disciple that makes disciples is to be somebody who's willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. And you might ask the question, why in the world would I do that for him? And the answer comes to us because he did that for you. This was said at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, at the end of Jesus' ministry, three years later, he sits down with these same men and a few others at a table the night before he was crucified. And he sits down with them at table and he gives them the Lord's Supper, this meal that we celebrate every week now. And he takes a piece of bread, which represented sustenance. And he said, my, this is my body broken for you. In other words, my life is going to, my death is going to be your sustenance. Then he takes a cup of wine, the cup that represented the price that it takes to forgive us of our sins. He says, this is my blood given for you. Take and drink. In other words, he's saying to these guys who gave up everything to follow him, he's saying, it's worth it because I'm about to give up everything for you. This is how deep I love you. Luke writes, greater love has no one than this than someone who would lay down his life for his friends. And when you reflect on that and you eat this meal and you think about that, it changes you to want to become a discipleship or a disciple maker and a disciple. So here's the last thing I'm going to say. When we come to the table today, we are invited to the table to become disciples and follow Jesus. At the table, we're formed as his disciples. And then we go from the table to make disciples. This is what our mission is as a church. Let's not forget it, all right? Lord, help us. We can't do this but by your strength. We can't do this but by your power. Give us hope. Give us more of those stories of, of people, their lives being changed, giving, giving their life to you because, because you're working through us. And thank you, God, that you have called us. And I pray that if there's anybody in this room that you are calling to yourself, that they would hear the call and follow you today. And I pray if there's anybody in this room that, that is just wondering what it looks like to, to start uh, sharing the message of you to other people. God, I, I just pray that you would begin to show them ways that they can do this. In your name we pray. Amen.